Let me get a drink. In fact, actually, let me refill my water. My computer's at 51%. Oh, crap. So, but we, I think we got it. Oh, we're on episode eight. Yeah. Oh, I'm dripping. Damn it. My water that is, my water bottle is dripping. I am not dripping. <laughs> yes, I know I'm over 50. I don't have those kinds of problems you, yet. I, you're, okay. Sometimes you drip when you get out of the shower or the pool? Yes. I was talking about my... <laughs> don't say whatever. Aging. Don't say whatever it was you were going to say next. Just do the next episode. Let's go. It's too weird. I, <laughs> I don't know what you want to say, but it's too weird for the podcast. <laughs> Keep going. I'm editing. I'm editing. I'll cut it out. Keep going. It's too weird. We can do this all day. Episode 29, WandaVision Review, Part 2. Episodes six through nine. Are you ready, partner? Rock and roll, buckaroo. Hi, this is Mark. And this is Emily. And, and we, we can, can do, do this, this all day. day. A podcast where we review all the movies and shows in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We're going through the MCU chronologically and discussing our overall impressions. Things we liked things we didn't like, and everything in between. We hope you'll tune in and stay with us till the end of the line. Welcome to the show, everyone. My name is Mark Villa. Thank you for joining us. I am joined over there on the hot mic in Studio E by my co-host, Emily Griswold. Good evening, Emily. Hola. So it's been um, not as long as it was before our last recording, but it's still been a bit of time. We also have a, a new lots experience of, in someone's lot, life. Lot is, lots, 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 lots of, lots, lots have happened. That doesn't make any sense. A lot of stuff has happened in the last last few weeks. I had COVID a couple weeks ago. Uh, I'm doing great. I tested negative this morning. I tested negative two days ago as well. I'm feeling overall pretty good. Still a little tired. My voice, as you may or may not notice, still sounds a little... A little nasally. I have a little, little bit of congestion, but not much. Um, that was kind of an interesting experience. In fact, actually today, this is the first, this is the first time in two weeks that I have been in the Fortress of Solitude, you know, Studio M, aka the Fortress of Solitude, for more than like a minute, uh, because this is where this is my my wife, bless her. Uh, camped out <laughs> while I was while I was isolating in uh, our bedroom. My son had it too. My son got uh, he got it the day before I did, so he was camped out in his bedroom. So the entire upstairs was like a COVID ward. But we're both doing better. You know, my wife had it in December, so she's still doing pretty good. I think she's still super immune, which is awesome. Got it from anyway. them little friends. Yeah, well, you know, when you got a kid in when you got a kid in school, it's you know, it's a little germ factory, uh, and he's a teenager, so. <laughs> <laughs> that may or may not make it worse, but I'm good. I'm uh, ready to rock and roll, and uh, back back with the show. It's good to be back in. It's good to be back in this room. It really is. I didn't realize how much I missed it. Uh, how are you doing, Emily? I'm good. Yeah, gonna try and not say like today. 
Emily's going to try and not say a, like. We don't, I don't do resolutions, but I feel like this should be our New Year's podcast revolution is that I won't say like, and you won't say, you know. So do our best. <laughs> we, hope, we hope you all don't hold us to it, but we will try because it makes a better podcast when we don't make all those silly basic public speaking mistakes. Fillers. Is that, what it's, is that what they're called? I think so. So we are back, and tonight we are going to be finishing up our review of the WandaVision series. This will be part two. We'll be discussing episodes six, seven, eight, and nine this evening. But first, not a whole lot of MCU news, but we'll fire up the ticker tape machine anyway. So the last time we recorded was New Year's Eve. 2022 and little did we know you know about less than 24 hours after we recorded i'm sure most of you know this by now jeremy renner aka clinton barton aka hawkeye was uh in a horrific snowplow accident uh he was uh in very very bad shape i don't know if he's still in the hospital or not it's been like what six or seven weeks now but he's uh, home he's at home now yeah good 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 He's been uh, all I, every time I go on social media, he's just constantly plugging what like the second season of uh, Mayor of Kingstown or whatever that show is is called on Paramount Plus. I guess if you can't do anything else. Yeah, but yeah, well, you can do you can still do promotion you from can home. Still promo. Especially yeah, we learned all that in the pandemic. You can do anything from home now. But uh, needless to say, we uh, continue to extend to him our best wishes and lots of positive healing energy going out to Mister Renner. We hope he we hope he gets back in action. As soon as possible. I mean, it sounds like those injuries were really, really severe. So hopefully, hopefully he is okay. I read something just a little while ago that might be of interest to Emily for sure, and at least at least one other of our listeners. Oh. And I'm and I'm sure Emily will be very, very shocked that I'm even bringing this up. Oh, are we subverting it? For all the for all you for all you uh, Sony Marvel fans, apparently uh, Venom Three is getting ready to ramp up production in Subversion. just a few months. So all you uh, all you Good Venom job. fans, all you Venom fans out there, they're gonna get started. If you really, if you love those movies, uh, you know Tom Hardy's getting geared up and ready to start filming that in just a few months. So your wait will be over. I'm gonna try my best not to make a Venom joke later, since you already brought it up on your own. But if it comes to me, I can't, I can't stop myself when the universe says you have to do something. You know. All right. Uh, yeah, I get it. I accept that. I'm trying to turn over a new leaf in 2023. So, all you Venom fans out there, I'm very happy for you. And I hope your movie turns out to be really good. Just sort of, well, just casually, uh, we are now just under a week away from the opening of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania in theaters across the globe. I personally am very, very excited to see this movie because I think it's going to be the first, it's the kickoff of Phase 5. I think it's going to be a pretty substantive film. If you were, it sounds to me like if you were bored with Phase 4, this is the one to tune in for because it sounds like this one is going to be kind of important. The rumor on the street is that uh, Jonathan Majors just kills it as Kang. The only thing that makes me nervous is all these people keep likening it to Star Wars. And anytime someone compares a new film to Star Wars, oh, it's this generation Star Wars, that just always irks me. I just hate hearing that. But if they mean it's a good science fiction film, then I guess that's okay. We will continue with our review of WandaVision. But first, we'll give you a quick recap of where we left off. We were last in the 1980s with Billy and Tommy aging up to about age five. 
Vision was starting to notice weird interactions and behaviors in the town of Westview, and was beginning to believe that something is up. We find out from the Sword People and Monica Rambeau that Wanda has taken over the minds of the people of Westview and has been changing reality inside of the Hex. She pilots a drone into Westview, and Sword Director Hayward uses it to unsuccessfully try to kill Wanda. We learn that Wanda recently broke into Sword Headquarters and stole Vision's corpse to resurrect it. Vision learns from his co-worker, Norm, what Wanda is doing, and has a very heated confrontation with her. When the doorbell rings, and it's someone claiming to be Wanda's brother Pietro, but it's the 20th Century Fox X-Men movies Pietro, played by Evan Peters, and not the Age of Ultron Pietro, played by Aaron Taylor Johnson. So that's where we left off last time, and we will dive right into Episode 6, All New Halloween Spooktacular. We open up this one with an unapologetically 1990s early aught-style sitcom title sequence, replete with grunge music and camcorder video. It's Billy and Tommy's first Halloween, so Wanda is hoping the entire family can go trick-or-treating together. But then Vision informs her that he's actually planning on patrolling the streets that night on behalf of the Neighborhood Watch. Uncle Pietro, who's now staying with them, volunteers to take the boys out himself. Billy points out to the audience that Wanda's been acting kind of funny since Pietro showed up, and that she and Vision have been behaving oddly around each other. There's actually a lot to unpack from those first six minutes. First of all, if you're a fan of Malcolm in the Middle, then this episode was made for you, because it's basically one big homage to that show. It's our first instance of breaking the fourth wall in WandaVision. Second, Evan Peters is good at playing the man-child bro-ish uncle, I think. Finally, the costumes. <laughs> Wanda, Vision, and Pietro all have fantastic costumes because they look exactly like what you'd expect handmade costumes of the comic's original Scarlet Witch, the Vision, and Quicksilver to look like about 25 years ago. Or heck, even, even today they would look comics accurate, and yet at the same time kind of lovingly handmade. Notice the costumes that the boys are wearing. If you're a big enough fan of Marvel Comics, you'll know that Billy appears to be dressed up just like Wiccan, who, in the comics, is the magic-powered son of Wanda Maximoff, and whose first name is also Billy. Furthermore, Tommy is dressed up like Speed, who, in the comics, is the resurrected other son of Wanda's, whose name is also Tommy. And he possesses Super Speed. Surprise, surprise. Both Speed and Wiccan were members of the Young Avengers. Remember that because I'll be coming back to it several times over the following months as we go through Phase 4. And I'm sure Emily in particular enjoyed uh, enjoyed Wanda's vintage Scarlet Witch costume. I was going to leave it. I thought about saying something, but then I decided to not talk about it, because I've already expressed my feelings. Emily and her leotard aversion. We know how I don't like leotards. Anyway, I was hung up on the fact that they trick-or-treat in Sokovia. I always thought that that was mostly an American thing. But I guess, of course, if you're going to trick-or-treat in Sokovia, some old babushka-style lady is going to give you a raw fish. But did they really trick-or-treat in Sokovia, or did they just throw that in there as a... Like a gag? A gag. Like a type of early aughts sitcom gag, where they just throw something random in because it's funny. Maybe. I didn't think about that. I was just thinking, huh. Well, I guess if you are going to trick-or-treat in Sokovia, it would be a raw fish. Or what's the, what's some other, like, cabbage? 
like <laughs> a, what's some a, a, a radish like eastern european style <laughs> i don't know yams some hearty root know. vegetables hearty, hearty hearty root vegetables or tubers Sword Captain Monica Rambeau, FBI Special Agent Jimmy Woo, and Darcy Lewis confront Sword Director Tyler Hayward over his attempt to kill Wanda in the previous episode, arguing not only that they have no idea what killing Wanda will do to the people trapped inside the Hex, or outside of it for that matter, but that Wanda herself may be the only solution to the entire problem. Hayward throws the three of them off the base for questioning his authority, but Rambeau and Wu manage to incapacitate the sword guards, escorting them off the base, procure disguises, and the three sneak back into the base. I just really like that scene between Darcy and Hayward, where he's like, do you work for me? And she goes, I actually don't know. And there's a little stare off. What's the uh, don't blink contest uh, yeah, it's between the a two of them? Staring, staring contest. That's actually rather true, now that I think about it. She probably had the most responseless standoff against him. Every time Monica went up against him, he did something to her. Every time Wu went up against him, he cuffed him and threw him threw him in the brig. Well, it sounds like... And Darcy left him speechless. It sounds like he didn't know that Darcy was there. Okay, I guess maybe that's the gag. It's kind of a, who are you? It's, gag? What's maybe? the, um, uh, from The Martian? When I haven't seen The Martian. What? Anyway, there's a scene in The Martian where the person who solves the big You know I haven't you know I haven't seen The Martian. Did I you throw that you did you throw that did you throw that what in just for No, I just figured you had it. It was a popular movie. Yeah, I know it was a popular movie, but I haven't seen it. I made a poor assumption, I'm sorry. No. But there's a scene good. in that movie where a character comes in and he has the solution to this big problem they're all having and the director of NASA goes, uh, who are you? And he says, whatever his name is, he goes, I work in aeronautics or wherever he works. And there's like a brief standoff between the two of them. Well, with respect to Director Hayward, he's still a dick. However, I give him a shred, not much, just a shred of credit for the prescient comment he makes about how those who went away could still afford, what does he say, the luxury of optimism and he says, what does he say? You don't know what it was like during the blip, which, by the way, hasn't officially been identified as such yet because we haven't reviewed Spider-Man Far From Home yet, but you get the idea. We honestly don't know what that five-year period was like because we have yet to see anything that happened during that time aside from the very end of the blip as seen in Avengers Endgame. So I kind of have to take him at his word that it was indeed a really difficult time to be alive. But... Monica is also right when she tells them that that's no excuse for being a coward. And clearly Hayward's got a thing against superpowered beings. He he clearly hates Wanda. And his mention of Rambo's relationship with Carol Danvers is just another demonstration of that. He's pretty... He certainly seems to utter her name with some disdain. Also notice that this is the second time Monica Rambo kind of squirms or bristles at the mention of Carol's name. Why do I get the feeling that their last meeting did not go exactly all that well? One last thing. It was nice to see Agent Wu kicking some ass. I feel like the people who didn't get dusted in the blip have such a superiority complex. I'm not sure if that's the right word. But the whole, you don't know what it was like stuff. Of course they don't. But they also didn't choose to get dusted. 
we'll obviously talk about this more, but it's almost like the people who got blipped are hated or distrusted because of it. They're demonized for something that they had no control over. The people who were left behind were the ones who had control, and they kind of messed it up. Well, we're totally going to get into that at least a little bit in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. I've always wanted to have more of an exploration of the blip. I would love to see a Marvel project that takes place during the blip so that we can actually see what it's like. And I would like to see more stuff. I'd like to see more Marvel projects address that that very issue of everybody coming back and what it was like. We get a little bit of it in Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Obviously, we get a little bit of it here. But I think that would be ripe for, if not a movie or a series, maybe a special. While the boys are trick-or-treating, Wanda asks Pietro questions that he insists are her way of testing him. He says he has no idea why he looks the way he does, but that if he had found Shangri-La, he wouldn't want to be reminded of the past either. Wanda then bumps into Herb, who informs her that Vision isn't scheduled to go out on patrol that night. Did you notice that after Herb tells her that Vision isn't on patrol and could he help her instead, he then goes... Is there something you want changed? Almost as if his character was broken, like how Agnes's seemed to be in the last episode. I did notice that. I needed you to mention it in order to remember it, but I did notice that, and I always wondered if that was Herb telegraphing something mm-hmm. through his through his uh, mental captivity. We cut to Vision, who's wandering another part of the neighborhood with a few less kids. He encounters a house outside of which are two people repeating the same motions over and over again, almost like they were animatronic. One of them sheds a tear. Notice this is the first time we see other kids in Westview. We're also getting more hints that Pietro is the Jiminy Cricket to Wanda's Pinocchio. We then get a claymation ad for Yo Magic Yogurt, where a kid stuck on a desert island dies before he can open a package of Yo Magic. That's probably our most macabre commercial so far. The snack for survivors. I'm still trying to figure out what it symbolizes. Perhaps that searching for magic will lead you to a bad end? If so, that's a pretty significant foreshadowing. It kind of helps that we know what happens both in this series and in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. That was very 90s, though. Like the animation style? Uh The claymation style was very 90s. the, The macabre stuff. I don't remember ever seeing a commercial. I mean, but have you ever seen SpongeBob? <laughs> like kids die. There's tons of weird stuff like that in SpongeBob. Mm, or a cat true. dog or take your pick of weird angry beavers. Any odd weird Ren and Stimpy? Oh, Ren, yeah, Ren and Stimpy. Yeah, that. the stuff that <laughs> It's all like that. The, man, the stuff your generation grew up on. I mean, I was like in college when all this hit. So, in some ways maybe it was better for us, but not that I watched either of those. That just really wasn't my speed. I did like The Tick. The first season of the animated Tick on Fox from 1994 to 1995. My son likes that now. When Wanda chides Pietro for his behavior, he tells her that's what she wanted him to do. Show up unexpectedly, stir up chaos with the kids and tension with the brother-in-law, quote, and ultimately give you grief. They then ask each other what happened to their accents. Pietro tells Wanda he remembers getting shot. Then he woke up and heard her calling him. Moments later, we discover that Tommy also has super speed. Back on the sword base, Rambeau, Wu, and Darcy hack into Hayward's personal devices and discover he's been tracking Vision and the whereabouts of the Westview residents without telling anybody this whole time. Vision enters a cul-de-sac where everyone appears to be frozen in place. He flies up to survey the entire town from the air and picks out the only car that appears to be on the road. 
He goes to it and discovers it also frozen in place at a stop sign. Agnes is behind the wheel, dressed as a witch. Foreshadowing. She's not frozen, but she appears to be moving very little. She tells Vision she got lost, a statement which he questions, given that she grew up in Westview. I don't know, man. I've lived in the same apartment for a year and a half, and I still can't remember which side of the cabinet to open in the kitchen. I think there's a big difference between being a approaching middle-aged woman growing up in a small town and still living there and you being in your apartment for a year and but a I, half. I live in this apartment. I only work out of the house two days a week. I am here all the time. And I still can't remember which side of the cabinet opens. On any of them. The whole the whole kitchen. You know, I, I'm I'm trying to be sympathetic to you. <laughs> I'm just at least saying in, at least in at least in that respect. I'm just saying some people are bad at directions. I understand. And maybe I Agnes understand. is one of them. Vision tries to make psychic contact with Agnes. She recognizes him as an Avenger and asks if he's here to help us. What's an Avenger? Vision responds. She then asks if she's dead. Because he's dead. Quote, no one leaves. Wanda won't even let us think about it. Vision promises Agnes that he will fix this. When he breaks the psychic touch, she turns back into TV Agnes and drives away. The street she turns away from is Ellis Avenue, a street which Wanda told the boys to not cross just one scene earlier. Vision walks across Ellis Avenue, beyond which is nothing but an open field and darkness. Another great David Lynch-esque WTF scene that only makes sense to me now that I know how everything turns out. Darcy pulls up the results of Rambo's blood work. Each time she's crossed the boundary of the hex, it's changed her cells on a molecular level. Despite that, Monica is determined to enter the hex again to try to reach Wanda. She and Wu leave to meet a contact of hers who might be able to help. Meanwhile, in the town square, Pietro, who by now has pretty much outed himself as the voice of Wanda's conscience, has a pretty frank conversation with her, pointing out how she hid the children of Westview all this time, so as not to unduly traumatize them, and asking her how she even did it in the first place. She doesn't really know how she did it herself, just that she felt loneliness and utter nothingness after the events of Infinity War and Endgame. She turns away, and when she turns back, she momentarily sees a bloodied and bullet-ridden Pietro, much like she last saw him in Age of Ultron. I thought that was kind of a nice little jump-scare moment. Vision attempts to pass through the Hex. As he does, he is approached by Hayward, Darcy, and sword operatives. Vision, who is dead in the real world, begins to disintegrate back into the lifeless husk we know him to actually be. As he cries out, Billy, who apparently has his mom's abilities hears him, and runs to inform Wanda and Pietro, who blurts out in front of the boys, quote, it's not like your dead husband can die twice. Wanda then brings Vision back into the Hex the only way that she can, by expanding the Hex. In doing so, the Hex absorbs not only Vision, but Darcy and a good portion of the sword base and its personnel. Uh, oops. Episode 7, Breaking the Fourth Wall. The episode opens up in the style of a modern-era documentary-style sitcom, a la Modern Family or Abbott Elementary, which is a very funny show, by the way. I highly recommend it. 
Wanda says that she's taking a self-care day to recoup from the events of the previous episode. Billy complains to her that his head feels very noisy, and all three of them notice that objects around them keep glitching between different versions from different time periods that the sitcom has already visited. Game controllers going from modern to Nintendo GameCube to Atari 2600 to an Uno card game. A cardboard carton of milk turning into a glass bottle of milk. I have no idea what console those first controllers are from. I should ask my son. I liked the new intro, especially at the end when it says WandaVision, created by Wanda Maximoff. And it's all mostly her name now. Nothing much at all about anyone else that she cast into this weird show. Hmm. That's very telling. Vision wakes up in the same field where he attempted to break out of the hex. He is surrounded by sword personnel and equipment, all of whom, which, have been transformed by the hex into circus performers and their gear. He encounters Darcy, who is now an escape artist. I think that's hilarious. You know, yeah, Wanda's working through some serious trauma, but at least her subconscious or whatever still has a sense of humor. (laughs) Also, we locked eyes. There was an understanding was such a perfectly delivered line from Paul Bettany. I want a show with Vision and Darcy. Oh, it's like you can just, I, I could almost hear Paul Bettany saying it as you were saying it. It's just such a, it's such a him thing to say. It was really funny. We locked eyes. There was an understanding. The boys ask Wanda about going to look for their dad and inquire further about Pietro's comment about people re-killing Vision. Wanda tells them not to believe a word out of Pietro because he's not really their uncle. But she's also at a loss to tell them who he actually is. Conveniently, Agnes comes along and volunteers to take the boys off Wanda's hands for a bit so she can chill. I forgot how uncomfortable this episode made me. Wanda is supposed to be playing this burnt-out mom as part of a sitcom, but she's clearly not doing anything humorous at all. She's flat-out depressed and doesn't want to do a damn thing. I find it really jarring, and I'm sure that's the point, especially with those poor boys wondering what's going on. Elizabeth Olsen just does such a great job with that deliberately unconvincing I'm fine affirmation at the end of the segment. You can just kind of see her trying to smile, but clearly just not feeling it. It's like defeat and grief and exhaustion all kind of rolled into one. On their way to meet her contacts, Wu tells Monica that Darcy figured out that Hayward was actually trying to revive Vision's body, not decommission it. That's why he was tracking him. They meet up with Monica's friend Major Goodner and other sword operatives who were loyal to Maria Rambeau and not Hayward. They provide Monica and Wu with some sort of massive six-wheeled ATV. Meanwhile, Vision frees Darcy from her trance and they steal a funnel cake truck. That was fun to write. We go from a six-wheeled ATV to a funnel cake truck. It's the incredible world of wheels, 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 wheels. I do like Darcy's comment about previously secretly wanting a guest role on the show. It seems very much like her and very appropriately meta. The world around Wanda continues to shift around to different eras. She confesses to the camera that she doesn't know why it's happening or how to fix it. The mystery person behind the camera then asks her if perhaps it's because it's what Wanda deserves. We then get an ad for Nexus anti-depression meds. Wow, not much subtlety in this one, is there? 
you should not take Nexus unless your doctor has cleared you to move on with your life. <laughs> I think that's great. At Agnes's house, the boys voice concern for their mom, and Billy tells Agnes that, quote, you're quiet inside. Obviously, you and I know about Agnes and what's different about her, but what I love about this, though, is I guess it's a trope, even though I don't think I see it enough for it to actually be a trope, but I love when someone is telepathic and all of a sudden they run into someone that they can't, air quotes, read. I feel like that always means something bad is about to happen. Yeah, I've watched enough science fiction to say that's that's a pretty safe assumption. Hmm, why can I not read this person? It's like on Star Trek The Next Generation, every time Counselor Troy can't read somebody, they always turn into they always turn out to be bad news. Monica attempts to breach the hex in the massive sword space rover, but the vehicle is unable to break through and ends up being shot back out, with its front end now resembling some sort of truck. Having pierced the barrier twice already, Monica abandons the vehicle and attempts to breach a third time by herself. She is successful, but when she reaches the other side, her eyes momentarily glow blue, and from her perspective, everything she sees is glowing blue and green and purple. A nice touch playing that dialogue from Captain Marvel while she's breaching the hex. It was foreshadowing that I'm sure a lot of non-comics readers missed. Also, the outfit she's wearing, once she sheds the EVA suit, Certainly looks like a callback to the comics when Monica Rambeau was Captain Marvel, and subsequently the hero known as Photon. I guess three times through the hex gives you special powers, like falling into radioactive goo or getting bit by a spider. Or having a space parasite that looks like black goo cover you. Yeah, accidental superheroes. Love to see it. Darcy and Vision begin driving towards the Vision House, but all sorts of impediments red lights, an armada of farm equipment crossing the road, children, seem to be slowing them down. Vision presumes Wanda is doing this. Since this reincarnated version of Vision doesn't know who he is, Darcy gives him a quick recap of his life. And death. Or deaths. I like this scene. It's nice and quiet, and it gives everyone a chance to catch their breath. And I like how Darcy is able to convey that, despite all the confusion and the mayhem of this show, that she's impressed with how deeply Wanda and Vision love each other. I mean, that's what this is ultimately all about, isn't it? Monica confronts Wanda at her house and tries to tell her that Hayward is after Vision, but Wanda doesn't want to hear it. Wanda uses her powers on Monica, but Monica, who appears to have powers herself now, is able to resist. Agnes comes along and escorts Wanda back to the house. When Monica tells Wanda not to let Hayward make her the villain and Wanda replies... Maybe I already am. Well, need we say more? It's more fun to be the villain than to go to therapy, I guess. Oh, that's better than what I had in mind. I was thinking of the line, was it from... Was it from one of the Christian Bale Batman movies, the Christopher Nolan Batman movies? You you play the hero, long, don't want to oh, play the hero long enough to become yeah, yeah, the villain or yeah. something like that. Was she ever really the hero, though? Who, People Wanda? already decided she was a villain a long time ago. Like, the world. The, M- the the regular humans in the MCU kind of already pegged her as a villain. Yeah. So, I think that's, it's kind of too think late. That's, I think that's accurate. But we know. We know better. Or at least we think we know better. Well, for now. <laughs> for, yeah, for now. <laughs> Multiverse of Madness. Agnes tells Wanda that her kids are in the basement. 
When Wanda goes there, she discovers a weird dungeon-like lair with creepy vines and stuff growing on the walls. Agnes traps Wanda there and reveals herself to be the witch Agatha Harkness. She has cast magical runes on the walls of the basement that allow only her, the person who cast the runes, to use her magic. This is important. <laughs> Through a new TV intro reminiscent of the Munsters and the Adams Family, Agatha further reveals that it was she who has been manipul manipulating many of the events. She messed with Wanda's and Vision's magic show. She made Herb go all weird at the wall with the hedge trimmer. She sent Pietro to the Vision house. She was doing the filming during this episode, and she even killed Sparky the dog two episodes earlier. I actually don't have a note here, but this is where we get the Grammy or Emmy Award winning. It was Agatha all along. I know that you song, don't like it. That song was really, really popular. Well, there's, a, there's some other Agatha stuff that I'm gonna talk. I'm gonna talk about a little bit later. But yeah, I, I, I didn't get why. I didn't get why that that little bit that played for all of you know 30, 45 seconds was so ridiculously popular. I mean, I like the Munsters and Adams Family references. I thought those are really cool, but the song, I don't know. Different strokes for different folks, I guess. In a mid-credits sequence, Monica finds the cellar door leading to Agatha's basement when Pietro sneaks up on her from behind. Another quick aside, is it just me or did that did the set dressing for that basement look really cheap? I mean, you've probably you've probably worked in haunted houses that looked a little more authentic than that. Like the, the vines and stuff and the, 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 really wa the walls look the walls are supposed to be are supposed to be reminiscent of something like a dungeon wall, old stone, a castle, that kind of thing. Sometimes you have to go to the discount store. But it looks like it looks like cardboard. The vibe. Styrofoam rocks. Sometimes that's just what you have to do. Are you saying that Agatha Harkness uh, made her basement out of stuff acquired from <laughs> Costco? Michaels on sale. My Michaels, yeah. Joanne's. Jo Joanne fabrics. Yeah. Some the vibe you have. Basement. Basement by Michaels. Have to have the vibe right. Who cares what it costs? Magical runes and a hot glue gun. I get it. There, there's your episode title. Episode 8, previously on... Thank you. We open in Salem, Massachusetts in 1683. The witch Agatha Harkness is accused by the other members of her coven, including her own mother, of practicing dark magic and is sentenced to death. But when they try to execute her... She drains them of their life force. Back in Agatha's Joanne Fabric slash Michael's basement in the present day, we discover that Wanda's magic is not working there due to a protection spell cast by Agatha. She interrogates Wanda, attempting to learn how Wanda is controlling Westview. When Wanda insists that she's not doing anything, Agatha takes Wanda back to a moment when she was a little girl in Sokovia. She and Pietro are watching old American TV shows on DVD. It's a family tradition in the Maximoff household. TV night. A sudden blast shakes the apartment. It's the Stark Industries bomb that kills Wanda's parents landing on their apartment. She and Pietro are trapped in the apartment with the missile for two full days, but it never goes off. Agatha deduces that Wanda was born a witch and that she inadvertently used a simple hex spell to keep the bomb from going off. 
first of all, we learned that young Wanda really liked old American sitcoms, especially the Dick Van Dyke show, which certainly explains all the sitcom framing devices in the series. She's Mary Tyler Moore, and the vision is Dick Van Dyke. But more importantly is the intimation that Wanda was a witch all along. That's kind of new. I kind of guessed that, or something similar to it when Billy and Tommy started displaying powers. Relatedly, I typically don't feel a ton of sympathy for mm, anyone in the MCU, because lots of things are self-inflicted. But honestly, the bomb in the apartment scene, I totally understand where Wanda's base level of trauma and anger towards Tony is from. But it actually bothers me that she seems to generally let it go so easily. Or did she? They're not exactly, she and Tony, that is, not exactly warm and fuzzy in Civil War, and they don't meet again till the final battle in Endgame, during which time they have about, oh, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes to maybe pass each other by if they even bother to say anything to each other, and then Tony's dead. So I think it makes sense that she might still be hanging on to that, but quite frankly. But she's staying at the compound before in Civil War. True. And seems to be, like, totally chill to stay in property that Tony Stark built. Well, true. But I just she's feel also... like, given how Wanda is now, and maybe this is just a culmination of trauma at this point, but she seemed way more relaxed before. This is like an escalation. I think she seemed way more relaxed before. I don't think she has any great affection for Tony, well, but no. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a no guess that... Now that she's an Avenger, she's probably found a way to compartmentalize that and perhaps, what's the word I'm looking for, just kind of deal with him, put up with him. She's reached a kind of accommodation with him, an understanding maybe. Okay, I really don't like this guy, but he did ultimately help me out. So Just seems a little out of character given the Wanda that we have now. Yeah, well, <laughs> lots of pe- lots of fans out there have all sorts of feelings about the Wanda we have now and her behavior, but we'll get into that. We'll, we'll save that for we'll save that for the multiverse of Ma- multiverse of madness review. Agatha then takes Wanda forward in time to the Hydra lab of Baron Strucker, where she and Pietro were experimented upon. We see teenage Wanda interact with the Mind Stone from Loki's scepter wherein she sees an apparition approach her before she falls to the floor unconscious. Agatha postulates that the stone augmented Wanda's latent magical abilities. And we see Wanda watching reruns of the Brady Bunch in her cell. Finally, Agatha takes Wanda to her room at the Avengers compound, sometime shortly after the events of Age of Ultron. She's watching Malcolm in the Middle on TV and having a conversation with Vision. One of their first, it seems about her missing Pietro. I love revisiting that time when Wanda and Vision were still getting to know each other. Like in their early scenes in Civil War, I think it's really lovely how Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany play off each other, with her trying to process her grief and him wanting to help out, but having no real frame of reference for doing so. But they both admit this to each other, and it's what makes the scene, and therefore their entire relationship in a way, so beautiful. There's such an innocence and an honesty to it, and I love that line of visions where he says, grief is love persevering. That just might be the theme of the entire series. It is now a good time to out myself as probably the only person in the entire world who thinks that line is cheesy and silly. (laughs) Of course you do, because I love it. 
Everyone loves it. I don't care. One bit about it. Oh, well, that balances out everyone loving Agatha Harkness and it was Agatha all along and me not. So I guess that's fair. Different strokes for different folks. I still like the line. It's like that big, um, what's it, monologue from Joe in The Old Guard when he's like monologuing about how much he loves Nikki. Everybody loves that line. I hate it. I That's one of the few parts of the movie that I skip forward on because I do not care. I've only seen the movie once, so I don't remember it, but I'm sure you've seen it many, many times. I sure have. <laughs> if you hate the line, it must be pretty good. You know what other movie I've seen a bunch of times? Venom. Venom. And Venom, what's the sequel called? Let There Be Carnage. Let There Be Carnage. Oh, I know you've seen those lots of times. Mm-hmm. And you love them. You're so happy about them. It makes me happy when you're happy about your Venom movies. Agatha, continuing to analyze her thought processes, surmises that after losing her parents and losing her brother... Wanda was determined to get Vision back once she lost him. So Agatha fast-forwards us to Wanda visiting S.W.O.R.D. headquarters sometime shortly after the events of Endgame. Wanda barges into Director Hayward's office, insisting on taking Vision to bury him. Hayward takes her to the lab where S.W.O.R.D. scientists are disassembling him. He says she cannot take him, and claims that he is legally obligated to keep him, but is willing to allow her to say goodbye to him. Wanda enters the lab and touches Vision's head, but says that she can no longer feel him. She then departs the lab. Okay, Hayward is still a dick. The way he nonchalantly shows Wanda the scientist cutting up her lover like a roast in a butcher shop. And I'm sure that was deliberate. But I do give him credit for seeing through Wanda's story about wanting to bury Vision. He totally knows that she wants to bring him back to life. And I'm strangely okay with him calling her out on it. I mean, he also wants Vision back to life, just not the way she wants it. We then see Wanda visiting Westview for the first time. Driving around, seeing the residents we've come to meet in various incarnations in the series, she visits a dilapidated lot that Vision had purchased before his death, intending for them to build a home and spend the rest of their lives there. Consumed by her grief, Wanda breaks down before using her powers to create a new house on the lot, redress the entire town in its 1950s visage, and create a new version of Vision. It is the beginning of the Hex. Present-day Wanda then hears Billy and Tommy crying for help. She runs outside and finds Agatha holding the boys captive. Agatha mocks Wanda for not realizing what she is a wielder of powerful chaos magic known as the Scarlet Witch. And that is, by the way, the first time we hear her referenced as the Scarlet Witch in the MCU. In a mid credit scene, Hayward and the S.W.O.R.D. team use residual energy left over from Wanda when she destroyed the drone to activate the reassembled all-white body of the Vision. Which finally brings us to Episode 9, the series finale. Wanda and Agatha fight. During the fight, Wanda is able to wrest the boys free of Agatha, and they run home. Agatha tells Wanda that she takes magic from the undeserving, and that she's willing to let Wanda keep Westview if she gives her her magic. Wanda responds by dropping a car on her. I love the feet sticking out from under the car, and they like the Wizard of Oz. I thought that was a nice touch. White Vision then shows up. Wanda approaches him, but he attacks her, 
and is about to kill her when her vision flies in and clocks him. White Vision and Agatha both reemerge, so Vision and Wanda go after them, respectively. White Vision affirms that his orders are to eliminate Wanda. Meanwhile, Pietro has locked Monica up in the Vision's attic, where he has been staying. I don't think I like White Vision. He's weird. You better get used to him. <laughs> I have the feeling he's coming back. The apprehended agent Wu is brought before Hayward, who is convinced that his superiors won't care about him creating the White Vision and covering it up, because they'll be too glad that he got rid of Wanda and recovered some version of the Vision. Hayward locks Wu up, but Wu manages to pocket a cell phone and a safety pin first. He's able to get out of his handcuffs and call the FBI for backup. Looks like Jimmy Woo drew some real inspiration from Scott Lang with all the magic stuff. He might even be better than Scott at that right now. Wanda and Agatha carry their fight into the center of town. Agatha tells her that there's an entire chapter devoted to her, the Scarlet Witch, in The Darkhold, which is the Book of the Damned. In The Darkhold, it is written that she is not born, but forged, that she has no coven and uses no incantations. Quote, your power exceeds that of the Sorcerer Supreme. It's your destiny to destroy the world. Wanda insists that she is not what Agatha makes her out to be. But Agatha begs to differ, and proves it by freeing the inhabitants of Westview. And they are none too happy about what Wanda has done to them. The Sorcerer Supreme? Hmm. Yeah, we know this stuff. Monica sneaks a look at a utility bill that she finds up in Pietro's man cave. It's addressed to one Ralph Boner. Yes, I'm sure that name was chosen deliberately by the writers. And that address is the Vision's address. She also finds a photo, a professional headshot, of Pietro. The name on the photo is Ralph Boner. Monica subdues Ralph and removes a necklace from him that's been enchanted by Agatha, thus releasing him from her control. For some reason, I didn't figure out till now that this is the Ralph that Agnes references in all of those earlier episodes. I must admit it was a clever way to get both Pietros into the story. As the two visions fight in the skies over Westview, Billy has his own vision, no pun intended, of his mom in trouble in the city center. He and Tommy run off to help her. Wanda is, in fact, in a bit of trouble as the newly free residents confront Wanda en masse, begging her to free them completely and to stop making her grief theirs. In her panic, she momentarily begins to hurt them even more before coming to her senses. Realizing she has little choice, Wanda opens the hex and allows the residents to escape. Unfortunately, doing so causes her vision and the boys to start disintegrating. She can save Westview or save her family. With the residents having fled, Wanda recloses the hex. Severely weakened, Wanda and her family now find themselves left to deal with Agatha, White Vision, and a heavily armed cadre of sword personnel led by Hayward, who snuck into Westview while the hex was open. Perhaps more than any other scene in the series, I think this one really conveys just how badly Wanda screwed the pooch. An entire town is telling her the agony she's putting them through and how they would rather die than go on living like that. And Wanda? She's standing there frantically making excuses. It's almost pathetic to look at. Yeah, I felt bad for her earlier in the MCU when she was a teenager facing serious trauma and basically torture from Hydra and not knowing how, how to handle her powers. But now, 
Not really. She really needs a serious come to Jesus meeting with herself. <laughs> While Wanda and Vision head off to confront Agatha and White Vision again, Billy and Tommy disarm all of the sword personnel, except Hayward, who's about to fire on the boys with a pistol. Monica Rambeau, now clearly endowed with superpowers, jumps in the way of the shots, and as the bullets pass through her harmlessly, she removes the energy from them and they fall to the ground. Hayward squeezes off a final shot, but Billy yanks the bullet from the air and tosses it to the ground. Hayward, now out of ammo, attempts to flee in an armored vehicle, but he is T-boned by Darcy in the funnel cake truck. Meet Monica Rambeau, a.k.a. Photon. As the two Visions fight, Vision asks White Vision why he's doing this, to which he responds that he is simply carrying out his programming directive, which is to destroy the Vision. But Vision counters that he is not the true Vision. He posits that both of them are the true Vision, and yet simultaneously neither of them is the true Vision. Vision has no memory of his true self, but he knows that White Vision does. Access to those memories has simply been denied to him by Hayward, which makes it easier for Hayward to control him. White Vision allows Vision to make brief psychic contact with him, unlocking all of the memories of the true Vision's life. Realizing that he is in fact the true Vision in some sense, White Vision flies away. Okay, I'm not going to pretend to entirely understand the whole Ship of Theseus reference, but leave it to Vision to get into a fight with his fists and end it with his brain. That is just so him. They're both the Ship of Theseus. Argument over. Don't at me. Wanda, who disappeared for a time, seems to momentarily get the upper hand against Agatha, but she is soon overpowered by her. Agatha tries to bargain with Wanda, promising to correct the flaws in her spell and allow her to live safely with her family and the people of Westview in peace and free of pain, in exchange for her chaos magic power. Wanda escapes, and the two continue to duel in the skies over Westview, with Agatha appearing to absorb Wanda's magic every time she uses it against her. Just as it appears Agatha has completely taken Wanda's magic, she attempts to fire it back against her. But nothing happens. Wanda reveals that she, presumably during that brief time when she disappeared, put up some runes of her own around the hex, much like the ones Agatha cast in her Michael's Joanne Fabrics basement back in episode 7. Thus, only Wanda can use her own magic within the hex. Wanda reabsorbs her magic from Agatha and totally embraces her true identity, the Scarlet Witch. She locks the defeated Agatha up in her own Agnes sitcom persona. It's a cool fight at the end here, but I guess I can kind of understand how a lot of viewers were turned off by having yet another giant MCU-style set-piece battle with epic destruction at the very end, as if it were a necessary ingredient in any Marvel project. The fully realized Scarlet Witch costume, however, looks fantastic. How did Wanda learn to make those runes so quickly? How could Agatha not have noticed? Why did Wanda go so quickly from being all, no, I'm not a witch, to, lol, look at me, I'm a witch? That was a bit of a quick transformation, wasn't it? That's perhaps, my complaint about it. <laughs> perhaps when she disappeared, she went into some pocket dimension where she was able to acquire a, oh, maybe it was some weird time-space thing where she 
where she shifted into a dimension where she had enough time to read like an entire book on no, I think it's just how bad to be writing. a witch and then popped out. I think it's just or, bad writing. Or it's, or it's just bad writing. Wanda takes her family home and begins to collapse the hex, knowing full well that Vision, Tommy, and Billy cannot continue to exist. She and Vision tuck the boys into bed as night falls, telling them how proud they are of both of them, and that family is forever no matter what. Vision, realizing that he will see cease to exist as well bids yet another farewell to wanda in the living room he asks her exactly what he is she responds that he is the piece of the mind stone that lives on in her as well as her sadness and her hope but most of all and i can almost hear emily cringe right now most of all he is her love now nah, i was right emily is making this absolutely disgusted face you're so jaded Someone your age should not be so jaded. That's my job. I'm over 50 now. They embrace as the last of the hex finally collapses, leaving Wanda standing alone in the dilapidated lot in Westview. This scene, as you may recall, was one of my alternates for top five saddest moments in the MCU. It's obviously sad because we're saying goodbye to the boys, who I actually rather liked in this series. They somehow managed to not be stereotypical annoying child actors, they serve the story well, and I found them surprisingly charming. But it's also a sad scene because we're getting yet another tearful farewell between Wanda and Vision. And at this point, you'd be hard-pressed to not classify their relationship as tragic. Either way, I really do like how Vision points out that they've already said goodbye to each other. And so Wanda responds, we'll say hello again. And I think it gives the viewer just a hint of hope especially since White Vision is flying around out there somewhere with Vision's memories apparently restored. Oh, so that means we're going to have to deal with White Vision again. And Agatha, I guess. And Monica. And probably Hayward. <laughs> well, we are getting a Vision series eventually, Vision Quest. And we are getting Agatha, Coven of Chaos series later on and we are getting the marvels movie coming out this summer so yeah i think we're not done with a lot of these people wanda goes to the town center and endures the cold stares of the residents she held hostage and manipulated she apologizes to monica rambo for all the pain she caused and pledges to try to understand the power with which she has been imbued wanda then flies out of westview as the authorities arrive in a mid-credits scene, Agent Wu and the FBI haul Hayward away as Monica is called into a meeting with an FBI agent in the movie theater. The agent reveals herself to be a Skrull, sent by, quote, an old friend of your mother's. He heard you'd been grounded. He'd like to meet with you. When Monica asks where, the Skrull simply points upward. Director Fury, I presume? And are we possibly getting our first setup for the Marvels here? In a post credit scene, we see Wanda living in isolation in a cabin in the middle of nowhere. While her body drinks tea, we see her astral form, appearing as the Scarlet Witch, studying the Darkhold. She then hears her sons calling to her for help. To be continued in our review of Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, coming... eventually. <laughs> At this rate, probably 2024, but who knows. And there you have it. Our review of WandaVision Part 2, Episodes 6, 7, 8, and 9. 
And here's the part of the program where we talk about characters and actors for the TV shows. We're going to wait until we've wrapped up the whole series. So we start with Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda Maximoff slash the Scarlet Witch. Despite what I've said about Wanda, because I am not pleased with the turn that her character has taken. And to be honest, I wasn't pleased when she was kind of a whiny little mopey teenager, which I know that that's like what teenagers do. But I do really like Elizabeth Olsen. And it took me the longest time to realize that she was the older sister of the two twins. Because if I watched... A.K.A. the Olsen twins. If I watched any sitcom, it was all of the stuff that the Olsen twins did together after Full House. They had a lot of movies and TV shows that they did together. So it took me a really long time to realize that Elizabeth was their older sister. But I really liked her. I thought she did great. I thought the fact that she could embody all of the different eras of sitcom acting and behave as if she were in the 50s or the 60s or the, you know, on forward, I thought she was really good. I really liked it. I liked her acting. It was good. One of the advantages of these TV shows is that you get to you get more time to tell a story, which means, presumably, that your characters have more time to develop and grow, and we get to we get a chance to really see who they are. It also gives the actors playing them a chance to really flesh them out, because they have ample time to deliver solid performances. There have been a bunch of these shows in the last two years now from Marvel, and I still think that no one, no one delivered a better performance in any of them than Elizabeth Olsen. We get both amazing breadth and depth from her in this series in that we get to see her playing a wide range of roles, like you were saying. We see the comedic. We see the dramatic. She plays a mom. She plays a wife. She plays a superhero. She plays a, dare I say, vengeful magic wielder. And she does a fantastic job of playing such a wide range of emotion. She's wonderful as the silly 50s, 60s, and 70s housewife. We can really see the love that she has for Vision and for the boys when she's enraged, like when she goes after Sword or Monica or even Agatha. I mean, I feel genuinely scared of her when she goes into rage mode. She is truly frightening. But, of course, as we've all said over and over again since the show ran two years ago, this is a woman who is grieving. She's suffered innumerable losses, and losing the love of her life finally sent her over the edge. That grief is very palpable, I think, and very real. Whether Wanda is trying to act all cheerful and cover it up, or whether she's confused and panicked when something goes wrong, or if Agatha, or if Agatha has quietly messed it up, or when she's openly weeping and anguished and letting it all out. We've all felt like that before at some point in our lives. And, and no doubt we will many times again. And it makes the character, I think, very human and very relatable, despite having superpowers that make her a harbinger of the end of the world. And once again, I think this is one incredible performance from Elizabeth Olsen. I wish she had won the Emmy for Best Actress in a series that year. Paul Bettany as The Vision. I assume since Paul Bettany is British that he also did stage work. That's probably a fair assessment, pretty yes. Much all did. I would love to see him on stage. Oh, I'd love that too. He seems like the type to really 
benefit from the vibe of an audience. If the audience is into it or really engaged, I can imagine that he would play off of that really well and bring that in with his character. And I think he finds a way to do that in the show. Of course, I know they were filmed some the early ones, but I think even in the later ones, he finds a way to bring that that vibe into it. There's a better word than vibe, but that's just the word that I'm saying. But I think he does a good job playing off others and really filling the like emotional space that his character is supposed to fill, which I think is a good skill to have as a stage actor. I think that's a really interesting observation. I would agree with it, but the funny thing is, I don't know if I would have agreed with it before seeing this series, and I'll explain why. I've been extolling Elizabeth Olsen's performance for the last two years, but that takes absolutely nothing away from Paul Bettany, who also delivers, I think, another one of the strongest acting performances that I've seen in the MCU thus far. We talked in our last episode about his range. I'm particularly impressed with his comic timing. He and, Ol- he and Elizabeth Olsen are just both very funny. But to me, there's something about there's something about his comedic stuff, especially in the early episodes, that just really wowed me. I think it's just that I'm so used to hearing him as Jarvis's monotone voice or playing lots of stereotypically British roles that are kind of subdued. I think of the one that comes the one that comes to mind is uh, Master and Commander with Russell Crowe, which is a really cool movie. To see him being so expressive and doing all these wonderful physical bits, I found it very refreshing, especially since he's really good at it. And I I never realized, and I think I said this last time, I had no idea that he could do all that stuff. I had no idea what, what range he had and how emotive he could be. So now that I do know that, because I've seen it firsthand on this show, now I can safely say, yes, I would love to see him on stage. And I think you're absolutely right. Because of that ability of his, he could probably feed off of an audience, which any good actor does. Any good actor draws energy from the audience. That's that's how they do it. So yes, I'm agreeing with you on that point. I think it helps that this particular character that he's playing isn't really the vision. So he doesn't act like the vision that we know. He's trying to figure out who he is and what the deal is with Wanda and the town. And I thought it was really interesting that here's this android basically playing the same role as the audience, trying to figure out what the hell is going on. We're supposed to be able to relate to that. And for the most part, I think we do. He's on the same journey that we're on, in a sense. Tayona Paris as Monica Rambeau, a.k.a. Photon. I don't really have a whole lot to say about her, except that I do like her. I think she does a good job playing S.H.I.E.L.D. agent. And I would yeah. like to see mm-hmm. going forward more person, mm-hmm. which yep. is something we never really, I imagine if I'd watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I might have gotten to see more of this, but we never got to see that with Phil. And I would like to see that with Monica, more yeah. person, less agent. But I did like her a lot. Yeah. I agree with you completely. Uh, I had a very similar thought. When we last saw Monica Rambeau before the series, she was a young girl in 1995 in Captain Marvel. The thing that impresses me the most about Tayona Paris's performance as Monica Rambeau is how this Monica, I think, is a very natural extension of the girl that we saw in Captain Marvel. 
she embodies those same senses of adventure and curiosity that we could see percolating in that kid back in 1995, her younger self. The difference, of course, being that this Monica is older, and so and therefore she has agency to act, to see a problem, to analyze it, to do something about it. I think Tayona Paris does a great job of propelling the parts of the story that take place outside of Westview. Like you said, she's good at being the agent, in this case, the sword agent. But likewise, just like you said, I do wish we could have explored more about Monica Rambeau, the person, specifically her relationship with her late mother, Maria Rambeau. I'd love to see more of that. I wish we were given more insight into her relationship with Carol Danvers, because it certainly seems to me that that relationship somehow got kind of complicated after 1995. But I suspect, and I certainly hope, that we'll get into both of those points more when uh, the Marvels hits theaters this summer. Randall Park as Agent Jimmy Woo. I do like him better in this than I do in the Ant-Man stuff. I just think he's too goofy. I think Randall Park is too goofy. <laughs> I, I think that's just who he is. And it is expressed throughout all of his acting. <laughs> Not that he's bad. It just doesn't seem to fit. It sort of fit the energy of Ant-Man but I don't think it really fit the energy of this show. Darcy's goofy fit. But for some reason, in my head, Randall Park's goofy doesn't hmm. work for me. I've talked about how I dislike Jimmy Woo in Ant-Man and the Wasp and how I preferred the character in WandaVision a lot more. I think I, I, think I probably like him a little bit more than you did. I mean, I know we both liked him more this time around than we did in Ant-Man and the Wasp, but I think I liked him a bit more in this one than you did in Ant-Man and the Wasp. He comes off as to me. I think he comes off. Maybe this is the goofiness. He just kind of seems like this bumbling FBI agent trying to keep up with Scott Lang. And as one of the antagonists on that film, not only is he a protagonist in this film or series, but he comes off, I think is actually being rather capable when he realizes that, his missing persons case is more than he can handle. He calls in sword. He's conscientious about his job enough so that when he and Monica and Darcy realize that Wanda Maximoff is involved in a very complicated way, he tries to help figure out what's going on and not just shoot from the hip. When he sees that Hayward has an agenda and is breaking the law, he works to bring him to justice. When he and the others are taken prisoner, he helps subdue his captors and rather deftly. I just like the nuance that Randall Park brings to the role this time around. Not only does Wu want to get to the bottom of the mystery of Westview, but like Monica and Darcy, he seems sympathetic to Wanda's plight and doesn't want to reflexively just take her down. And that was kind of how I thought he felt about Scott Lang in Ant-Man and the Wasp. It just seemed like a very, oh, you're a bad man and I'm here to stop you. He's much more thoughtful this time around, it seems. And I do love how, whereas we see magic from a sorcery perspective with Wanda and Agatha, Jimmy Woo embodies that fun sleight of hand, Harry Houdini kind of magic. I thought it was a nice counterpoint to all the Scarlet Witch stuff. Catherine Hahn as Agnes slash Agatha Harkness. This is another character where I think the Goofy was, it worked in the early sitcoms, but her goofiness 
later when the series was darker did not work as well for me. I think she is a good actor. I think it's fun, but maybe not in a dark role like this. She kind of feels like how there's always that one lady at church who everybody's really kind to, like the like Dottie, where she's really nice on paper and she's always smiling and everyone's really kind to her, but it's because they're terrified. Okay. Yeah. She I, I she know plays that she plays that role very well, mm-hmm. but I think it was still a little too goofy at the end. But I did I did think she was good early on before the turn that actually she was centuries old and actually evil. I think I agree with you overall. This might end up being well. I was going to say it was my first hot take of the evening, but maybe not because you I think you feel similarly. Catherine Hahn's Agatha Harkness was one of those performances that was very highly touted when the first when the show first came out, especially when she did all the funny Agnes bits in the early episodes like we were talking about. The nosy neighbor trope. And make no mistake, she does do a, a great job with the role. She's clearly having a lot of fun with yeah, it. I think she's probably a really good actor. And she was yeah. a good actor here. Yeah. Yeah. But I just, like you, I just didn't find myself blown away by the character. And maybe it was sort of that like you, you call it the silliness, maybe it was sort of that over-the-top, over-the-topness. She She's very good at sliding back and forth between the humorous Agnes stuff and the sinister Agatha stuff, but I couldn't get super enthused by the character like a lot of other fans seem to do, and I'm not sure why that's the case. Maybe it was we got so much of the, in the sitcom stuff, we get a lot of that the nosy neighbor, oh, let's do this kind of thing, where she's just really over-the-top kind of nice, but maybe she's not really nice. And I think maybe maybe there was just too much of that. And then by the end of the series, you're getting the polar opposite. We're getting she, where she's literally cack- cackling like a witch. She is literally going, <laughs> and she's got, the wild frizzy hair and her face even looks sort of somewhat ashen and it's like she played she played both extremes she had to play both extremes she played them very well but i think the fact that she had to play both extremes was just a bit much for me i don't know if that makes sense or not but either way Clearly, Catherine Hahn's career is going lots of places. We all saw her in Glass Onion, the new Knives Out movie. She was great in that. She's getting her own Marvel show, the aforementioned Agatha Coven of Chaos. So, you know, we better get used to her. I totally yeah. forgot she was in Glass Onion. She was very good in that movie. Mm-hmm. That's no, way, sh- That was a way better use of her skills. There's at least one other vehicle that she that she's had in the last two years that she was really good in. I can't remember what it was, but she's she's going places, and undoubtedly, undoubtedly, WandaVision had a lot to do with that. Kat Dennings as Darcy Lewis. What more is there to say? Darcy's back, and this time she's got a PhD. <laughs> I think we knew from the Thor movies that she was always smart if more so in a common sense or street smarts kind of way. But now she's apparently got some learning and some academic credentials under her belt, and that makes her a pretty big brain in the MCU if you think about it. But it's nice to know that she hasn't lost that quick wit or that sense of humor of hers because she's still pretty darn funny in this. Josh Stamberg as sword director Tyler Hayward. Well, 
You and I both live in D.C. We definitely know this guy. Agreed. <laughs> Which is good. I think he did a good job of playing that guy. If you live in D.C., you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Maybe a little too well. I thought, I thought it was pretty over the top. There was there was so little there's so little nuance from from Hayward. But how I thought much it was I thought it was pretty from that it was pretty comical. Life. Are they a true human? Nothing, nothing. <laughs> it's just nothing. Absolutely, there there was nothing redeeming about this guy. Everything, every single thing out of his mouth was just dripping in agenda. And in his case, he had a he had a grudge and he was angry and upset, and he was just full of government bullshit <laughs> julian hilliard and jet klein as billy and tommy i thought they were good i thought they were very good they too i said that before. they were cute i think they did a good job being like kind of serious but also you know little kids it was very easy to accept them as wanda's and vision's kids yeah that's probably the greatest compliment i can pay them they felt they felt like their kids evan peters as pietro maximoff slash ralph boner I prefer Evan Peters over the other one, whoever the other brother, the other Pietro is. Well, given that it was Joss Whedon who was, at least in part, writing for Aaron Taylor Johnson in Age of Ultron, is it any wonder if you thought the character was written badly? We've already talked at length about Joss Whedon writing Steve Rogers. I don't think it was Aaron Taylor Johnson's fault what happened in that movie. He did the best that he could with what he had. But he didn't have much to work with to begin with, and what we saw just didn't really go anywhere before he, before the character died. Meanwhile, the folks who made the Fox X-Men movies made Evan Peters' Quicksilver just so damn memorable. So I thought it was brilliant to bring him into this, just because it ends up serving the story fairly well, and because it also makes a nice Easter egg for those, for those uh, movie fans and Marvel fans who were familiar with who he actually was. And there you have it, everybody, our review of WandaVision, our first MCU TV, Disney Plus TV series review. I thought that went really well. Yeah. We'll be doing, we'll be, we'll be doing, we'll be doing more of those in the future. It's been a little, it's been a minute since we did a film review. And so I think that's what we're going to do. That's what we're going to do next. Coming up in our next episode, we will be reviewing a movie that I'm really looking forward to talking about. Shang-Chi and the Legend of the Ten Rings. That'll be coming up in our next episode. It's been a while since we've talked about a movie, and so I think that's a really good one to go to. And on the timeline, it just happens to fall next. So, But not to worry, we will be covering other TV series. We'll be getting to Falcon and the Winter Soldier probably right after Shang-Chi. We'll be getting to Loki later this year. We've got a lot of material to work with. But until then, thanks so much for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoy the show. We hope you keep listening. We hope you keep yourselves safe. And we thank you once again. Be good to each other. And we will see you down the road with Shang-Chi in our 30th, sort of 31st episode of We Can Do This All Day. What? That's just a lot of episodes. That's a lot of... We've been doing this for a long time now. So until then... Have yourselves a good night, and we'll see you around. Thanks for joining us. Bye-bye, everybody. Have a good night. And we are clear. Wait, 5%? 7%. 7%. When I said 9, it jumped to 7 and was like, ha-ha, screw you.